thank you for listening in today. Just a few months ago, I marked a huge milestone, three decades in MK ministry. I never thought when I flew to Germany to start teaching there for a year that it would lead to this. 30 years is hard to sum up. It's conferences, articles, keynotes, videos, consultations, retreats, and debriefs. It's aha moments and hard conversations. It's sleepless nights of preparation and pre-presentation jitters and prayers for God-guided vision and execution. Perhaps most importantly, it's 30 years worth of lessons I haven't so much taught as learned from the families I've met. I can't think of a better way to mark these three decades than to share seven of those lessons with you here. I'll admit that each one of these points deserves an entire article or podcast episode of its own, but my hope is that this condensed format might be a helpful and accessible place to start a longer conversation, maybe between family and team members, wherever you serve. So, whether you are parenting MKs or an adult MK looking back on your upbringing, I trust you will find nuggets here that are helpful in some way. With that said, here are seven lessons on loving well. Number one, loving well means demonstrating that family will always trump work. I'm hearing this more frequently from today's young parents than I did years ago. Granted, there are still MKs who feel that they have been sacrificed on the altar of missions. They see decisions being made with little evidence that the impact on them is being considered. They hear those entrusted with their care insisting that if it's God's will, it's what we're going to do, period, regardless of the impact on young minds and hearts. But so many are doing things differently now. Emily wrote, We love it here. Our ministry is finally thriving after three years of grunt work. But one of our boys is really struggling with the culture and the isolation from peers. Part of us hates to even think about leaving. We've tried everything, though, and staying feels like telling him that we're okay with how much he's suffering. I cannot imagine how difficult the choice to leave must be, especially when a majority of the family is, in Emily's words, thriving. Yet this is the type of decision some families are making for all the right reasons. I'm sobered by the number of parents I've met who tell me that being thoughtful, engaged, and empathetic moms and dads to their kids is their primary ministry. So they're leaving, or staying longer, or delaying decisions, all for the sake of the kiddos who need those hard calls. Not only does this prioritized parenting build love, trust, and honesty between family members, but it also demonstrates the heart of God for his MKs. I'll add this, for kids to clearly hear that they are the priority, their parents might need to speak their devotion strongly and repeatedly, and back it up with action, in order to cut through the subtle and pervasive external messaging that may state the opposite. Number two, loving well means adults grieving openly so children can hurt freely. 
Hiding our struggles comes from a benevolent place. We fear that children will see our sadness or stress and be negatively impacted by it. On the contrary, seeing the grief of adults in their lives might actually normalize an appropriate emotional response to hard things. Jack and Vicky are both MKs, so when they moved to Europe with their three children, ages 6, 9, and 12, they vowed right up front that if things got hard, they were going to show it. It seemed to work well at first, when the entire family was contending with normal, transitional pangs, feeling unmoored, having no community, struggling with the language, and trying to figure out life in a new place. They would commiserate together over bread and cheese, as one does, and go for family jogs in a nearby park to burn off some of the tension. But when Jack's colleague and friend at his work office became critically ill, he didn't share his dread or sadness with the kids. He figured they wouldn't really understand, and he didn't want their relationship with that colleague's children to be affected. About a year after they arrived in France, when his colleague's illness had progressed to end stages, Jack reached a breaking point. Something fairly innocuous happened over dinner, and he lost his cool. His grief came out as anger. The children were shaken and emotional, and when Jack sat them down later to explain what was happening and how deeply affected he felt, he also told them that he'd been trying not to show them how sad he was. It was the youngest who interrupted Jack mid-apology and asked in her newfound French, Tu crois qu'on est bête? Do you think we're dumb? Jack had thought he was sparing his family by trying to manage his emotions in their presence, but the fault lines were evident to little minds attuned to the unspoken grief they were sensing. Because it was finally out in the open, the family was able to process together. The children's friendship with the colleagues' kids didn't suffer because, well, they're children, and when he eventually passed away, they were mostly prepared for it. The loss was huge, but as they watched both their parents walking in deep sadness, they felt permitted to grieve too. In a world where struggling is often, even inadvertently, framed as weakness, Offering children an example of honest and vulnerable processing within their ability to grasp is essential. They'll learn that sadness is okay, that experiencing it in community with others is healthy, and that reaching for Jesus in those moments is good. And along those same lines, here's number three. Loving well means seeking help without hiding or minimizing the reasons for it. There is something relentless about the pressure to be self-sufficient in ministry circles. MKs often have type A parents who are go-getters and problem solvers and overcomers. The missionary world is full of pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of messaging. Some of it demonstrated, some of it spoken, but young minds internalize it as be strong, fix yourself, need no one. Jennifer told me that her kids blurted out, Mom and Dad are at marriage counseling, when a family friend asked why somebody else was picking them up after school. As parents, they'd been honest with the kids about it, but she was still a bit embarrassed at first and considered instructing the kids not to be quite so open with others. Then she caught herself, and she realized that their casual reference to therapy was actually a good thing. 
seeing adults they love and respect admitting to struggles and openly enlisting help, be it practical or psychological, it demonstrates to MKs that insufficiency is not weakness. When life becomes overwhelming, they need to see their parents unabashedly asking for assistance. This is particularly true in the area of mental health, which, for far too long, has been such a taboo subject that MKs often demonstrate a reticence to speak about it. Showing them that there is no shame in reaching out for help is actually setting them up for healthier futures. Number four, loving well means releasing some decision-making to kids who need to feel empowered by choice. This is a hard one, but it's so important. With the way ministry works, the financial considerations, the logistics and practical limitations, the administrative responsibilities, the calling from God himself, it can feel like MK's lives are being decided in realms they don't necessarily connect with or understand. Kids observe adults making decisions that will have a huge impact on them, and they can feel unimportant or overlooked when their own needs and wishes aren't openly being discussed. Though it's absolutely true that children may lack the maturity or context to be consulted on every aspect of a life in ministry, parents who give them some ownership in areas where it's safe for them to have it are empowering them as important members of the family. I was just with a family whose kids couldn't fully grasp why they had to quickly leave the country they had loved, but the parents gave each one of them one backpack to fill with the sacred objects they wanted or needed to take with them into the huge transition they were facing. It didn't matter whether what they packed had value. One packed a pair of sneakers held together by duct tape. Another packed a piece of asphalt broken off of their home's driveway. By allowing them to choose, those parents gave their children ownership over one aspect of their evacuation. It can be expanded to other phases of missionary life, giving children a handful of options for them to consider on home assignment visits, go to youth group, sit in the service, or hang back with somebody who isn't going or letting them weigh in on the order of your travels, pick the location of your vacations, or even choose their favorite from the two great housing opportunities you've narrowed it down to. Whatever can be done to let children know that they do have some say in some areas of their lives will foster not only a sense of teamwork within the family, but of agency. And agency is an essential motor of development, Without it, there is a risk of MKs growing up to feel like baggage dragged from place to place without ever being asked for opinions or granted choice. Number five, loving well means admitting that the world is a painful place and that God's role in our suffering can be beyond our understanding. I speak quite a bit on the importance of developing a family's theology of grief. It is so hard for children and teens to trust a God who seems either cruel, callous, or impetuous. There is so much messaging that, to young ears and immature faith, makes it sound like God is the cold-blooded inflictor of our pain. 
a teacher at an MK school and a mom of two MKs, told me that one of the most powerful responses she's found to students who reveal abuse of some form to her is to look them in the eyes and say, God hates that this happened to you. That statement is most frequently answered with a doubtful, He does? So many MKs buy into the lie that God wants them to suffer, that he inflicts pain on us to make himself look good through our response to it. Children need to clearly be told that God does not rejoice in their suffering or randomly dole it out to aggrandize himself. At the same time, there's a mystery to God's role in our grief, one that cannot be entirely clarified from a human perspective. I'm hearing parents willing to respond, I don't know, to impossible questions, even when the not knowing can cause real frustration. As they embody a faith that is a relationship with a real person, they're also wise enough to point out that some of God's purposes and methods won't be fully clear on this side of eternity. If MKs grow to be in a true relationship with the Jesus revealed in the accounts of his life on earth, to trust his heart for the broken and his devotion to children, they may be able to release the unknowns that can otherwise make him seem like a tyrant. Number six, loving well means asking hard questions that may yield painful answers. When I speak with adult MKs about the traumas and hardships their lives have included, along with all the joys and blessings, of course, they often tell me that their parents didn't know what they were going through. And the most common answer when I ask them why is, they didn't ask. It requires such courage, such intentionality, for parents of MKs to pose the kind of questions that may yield painful answers. Yet without them, the ability to mitigate fallout and bind wounds and even prevent attrition becomes limited at best. One family from Czech Republic has added a category to the customary yay and yuck debriefs they regularly do around the dinner table. Each member still takes a turn articulating the fun stuff that has happened, the yays, and the harder stuff, the yucks. But the family has added an unspeakable muck category to the exercise, the stuff they'd rather not talk about, but want to express anyway because it's what the family does. The children have the option of talking about the muck in private, if they prefer. By framing the ritual in a way that lightens that third item, my yay, my yuck, and my unspeakable muck, and by making it a weekly practice, they open the door for hard admissions to be made at any time. And because they all take turns doing it, it is normal and accepted. The parents' muck, of course, would need to be appropriate for children to hear. A family in which hard conversations about delicate or personal issues are natural is usually a family that has started sharing vulnerably from its earliest days. But even when the practice isn't hardwired into the home culture, I think it can be developed over time by investing in trusting relationships, verbalizing permissions, and asking timely questions that get to the origin of questionable behaviors and the impact of hard experiences. Because, let's be honest, we all carry around some yays, some yucks, and some unspeakable muck. Number seven, 
Loving well means admitting to failures and asking forgiveness even years after the harm was done. The power of this form of love cannot be overstated. I recently interacted with a friend and therapist whose children are grown adults now, and she wrote to ask me if I'd noticed this phenomenon. Even when there is nothing a parent could have done to prevent the harm their kids experienced, an apology even decades later is still a healing thing. Whether the apology is about something the parents didn't know about, something they ignored, or even something they themselves did, raising the topic with their adult children and expressing true sorrow over what happened can have an almost miraculous impact on their relationship. It can be as simple as sincerely saying to a child who was harmed outside the home, I'm sorry I wasn't there to stop that happening to you. Though there may have been nothing that parent could logically have done, hearing that they wish there had been, or that they're sorry they failed to see what their kids were going through, is in itself a statement of love and an acknowledgement of the child's pain. There are so many circumstances in which an apology even years later, can be the catalyst for healing and restoration. I'm so sorry you were so hurt by your friend's racial slur and that I didn't do something about it. I'm so sorry that I never noticed the anxiety and depression you were struggling with. I'm so sorry that we sent you to boarding school when you were so young. I'm so sorry that our decision to move so often was hard for you. We should have asked you more questions and given you more choices. I'm so sorry that you had to go through school with undiagnosed learning disabilities. I am so sorry for what happened to you when you were away at summer camp. So many apologies that may not feel like they solve anything, but nevertheless have the power to be redemptive and transformative. I have witnessed astounding restoration happen when parents are willing to apologize for the things they didn't know or failed to do or simply missed. Even if they were decades ago, even if they didn't feel significant at the time, there is no timetable for saying we're sorry and there is no time limit on healing. The parents of MKs I've had the honor of interacting with over all these years have done more than teach me the seven lessons I've listed here. If you're one of them, I want to thank you for opening your hearts and putting your lessons into words as we've sat in living rooms and dining halls and cafes around the world. Your ability to identify the challenges related to your family's calling and then to develop ways to meet and address them for the health of your children, it's been inspirational to me. Thank you for loving well and for teaching others by your example your courage, and your sacrifice. Thank you, friends, for tuning in today. I've actually written and recorded several other articles that address some of the topics raised in this episode, and you can access them by scrolling through the titles on Pondering Purple. Please don't hesitate to contact me if you have something to add or a question to ask. My contact information is in the show notes, as well as a link to the written version of this episode. And as always, if you know someone who might benefit from this podcast, please feel free to share it with them or to post about it on your social media platforms. Wherever you are, 
Whether you're parenting MKs or an adult MK looking back on your upbringing, I pray as I send this episode into the world that you'll find something here that you can use to better love and support your family or to see more clearly how you were shaped by yours. Thank you for listening.